Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello and welcome to the Yacht Football Forecast. It's Liz Lozen here and I am joined by our own Charles Robinson. What's up, Charles? How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I am good. I'm going to pick your brain because it feels like free agency was like four years ago. The draft is obviously in the rearview mirror. The schedule came out yesterday. There has been nothing going on from a transactional point of view. Uh, and we have training camp yet to go in July. But still, there are all of these lingering questions. That's where you and your insider info come in for this episode. I will do my best to. This, where you, not this is fail. where you say, "Well, thank you for having me, Liz. I appreciate you bringing me on because I am brilliant, and for all of the knowledge that I can share with your wonderful listeners." Everything you just said, right there. <laughs> I appreciate all of it. Let's do it. I'm I'm ready. I it's been a long time. I don't you know I don't have the regular outlet, so I'm excited to be on and especially with you. So let's do this. Oh, well, thank you. And let's get right started with the biggest question on everyone's mind. What the heck is going on with Aaron Rodgers? We've obviously touched on this topic in recent episodes, but we haven't had you on. So now we're going to go in depth. What the hell is going on? Oh, man. Um, I mean, look, okay, everybody knows what's out there. He's unhappy, right? We've gotten that. I think that's there's no walking that back anymore. He's clearly unhappy. Um, I've said for months and months now that it's a Brian Gutekunst issue, not just a Brian Gutekunst issue, but there's a lot of different issues. It's about security. It's about Aaron still being pissed off that Jordan Love was a first round pick and they never even let him in on it. Whether he feels heard in the, in the organization, he's got that Tom Brady, New England syndrome going on. It's a multitude of things. And, you know, the Jerry Krause stuff comes out, you know, he supposedly he's referring to, to Brian Gutekunst as Jerry Krause. That, can, that did happen. You know, these are there's just a lot of things that he's not going to be able to walk back here. But I'm going to turn the clock back to 2018 when I wrote about Aaron Rodgers in the midst of his contract extension talks in 2018. And he was upset about a number of things then. And, and some of them were similar, not feeling heard by the organization, the way Jordy Nelson was let go by the organization, the Alex Van Pelt situation where he was not brought back um, after his contract expired. It was all these different things. So I wrote about that. And that being a factor in sort of things that he wanted going into the extension talks. Well, basically what happened was the Green Bay Packers threw a ton of money at him. They gave him a paycheck apology. And then afterward, Aaron Rodgers came out and said, ah, that other stuff was just media, media just making stuff up, right? And I'm like, okay. So I went through that experience. I'm just telling you that's what this feels like now. It feels like even though there's more out there, even though the Kraus stuff is out there, even though the trade stuff is out there, even though the Gutekunst stuff is out there, I think that this potentially is going to boil down to really one thing. And is, are the Green Bay Packers going to sit there and go, you know what? We're going to give you another paycheck apology only three years after the last one. And we're going to give you, say, $80 million in guaranteed money that you will absolutely get, which, by the way, makes you the quarterback for 2021, makes you the quarterback for 2022, and maybe even makes you the quarterback for 2023. I think that if that's something they come to the table and they say that and and you know, Aaron Rodgers in his camp can figure out a way to manipulate this and make it look like, oh, it was just a bunch of media stuff again. I could see him returning to the Green Bay Packers, but I only say that because I went through this in 2018 and I watched and I knew everything that was being said behind the scenes, similar to now. And I can tell you all these other reporters who are reporting on this, some of us even, even commiserated behind the scenes because we know, 
I think some of us know who each other's sources are on this thing. We know what's being said behind the scenes. We've seen some of the conversations that Aaron Rodgers has deemed to put into group chats, things like this. You know, we, we're all sitting there going, he's, he's just going to sign a massive contract. They're going to pay him off, and, and he's going to blame this on the media. I obviously defer to you, but I think there is one big difference between now and 2018, and that was the most recent NFC Conference Championship game where you made this point about Aaron Rodgers looking across the sidelines at Tom Brady, not as old, Brady obviously in his 40s, Aaron Rodgers 37, 38 in December, and looking at an organization that went all in. And Aaron Rodgers, maybe he grumbled, but when it came to it on the field, he swallowed everything and was the MVP. I mean, to recap, nearly 4,300 passing yards, 48 passing touchdowns. That was QB1, by the way. 8.2 YPA, that's QB3. A top three fantasy quarterback, for whatever that's worth, to Aaron Rodgers. And yet, it has to sting knowing here's an organization that, like, broke with ethical concerns to bring back Antonio Brown. We're willing to go through the PR muck for that. Got Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. I don't know. You, I don't know how, what, like, quintuplet, what is six? Sextuplet? I don't know what the number, what the word for six is. Or pass catchers available. Went all in on a defense. And here he was, watch, like, almost beating that guy. And yet the organization didn't do, I would imagine in his estimation, enough to put him over the top. And I do feel like that is a recent memory and might be the difference between 2018 and the present. And also, I think maybe the Packers are feeling that. Otherwise, why would they add Blake Bortles? Well, first off, we'll just we'll call Tom Brady's weapons. Let's just call it a mega bushel. Okay. Mega we'll just bushel. say he's got a lot. A mega bushel. Okay. He's got he's got a very large bushel of options available to him. And you make a good point. I mean, I, and I've said this before too. Like it's if you're in Rogers sitting there and and you look at Tom Brady and go, Well, geez, okay, let's just look at the Super Bowl alone. Gronk was there because of Tom. Tom was there because of Tom. Antonio Brown was there because of Tom. Leonard Fournette went there because of Tom. The offense was constructed the way it was constructed because of Tom. The team showed up for COVID workouts when they weren't supposed to in the park because of Tom. Players came out and said our mentality was different. I mean, this was in the run-up to the Super Bowl. I was saying just the way the guy carries himself, both before and after the Super Bowl, when they're saying the same things. All these things are because of Tom, 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 Tom. And I'm sure Aaron Rodgers sits there and goes, I was MVP. Like, and and oh, by the way, look at my look at my NFC title game numbers. Granted, I wasn't perfect, but I played pretty well. Probably well enough that if we had maybe some better players around me on offense, maybe we could have won that game. So I agree with you. I think that that's probably something that plays into his mind. I think that the the onus is on the Packers to go to Aaron Rodgers and go, particularly Mark Murphy, the president, to say, look, I got to work this out between you and Brian Gutekinds. So whatever I need to do to make Peacemaker here, I have to figure out what do these two sides need to coexist with each other, okay? And for Aaron, I think if you're Brian Gutekunst, he's going to have to come to this this reality that he can't just Ted Thompson it and be like, you know what, I'm the GM. I'm I'm not going to consult with the coaches, not going to consult with the quarterbacks. I'm going to give you the players. I'm going to construct the team. And, and then, you know, I'm shopping for the groceries, to, to use the Bill Parcells line, and you just deal with it. Brian Gutekunst is going to have to realize, I can't operate that way. This guy just won the MVP. He's one of, as you said, I mean, he's at his peak. And now we know he's following the TB12 method, so it looks like he really does want to play deep into his 40s. Maybe that means I have to run some things by him or just ask him about, hey, you know, who's, what's working on offense in terms of the pieces? You know, who do you value? You know, just open up a, a line of communication that makes Aaron Rodgers feel like he's respected. So you get the paycheck respect, you get the the respect of the organization saying you're respected, and you you get the peace of mind of knowing, like, you know what? I finally aired it all out. I've been upset about this for a while. It all came out. That's why. And maybe he won't say this publicly, but maybe that's why Aaron Rodgers is just being quiet here because he's sort of letting it marinate, just sort of letting it be out there because he's kept in a lot of stuff and. He's not going to run and walk it back right away. Instead, he's going to let everybody live in a little bit of discomfort before he makes a decision here. But ultimately, another thing, Liz, I mean, where's he going now? Like, where, seriously, where's he? A lot, the options have thinned considerably. Like, before the draft, 
there's a reason why before the draft you push the issue, and I don't even mean publicly. I'm just saying like with the team, with all those meetings, the flurry of meetings, you push it before the draft because there's still options on the table for other teams to come and get you before the draft. And that changes a bit, though, after the draft. Okay, sure, Charles. But we have seen the New Orleans Saints create phantom contracts and move money around better than anybody else. I mean, there are ways to get Aaron Rodgers, particularly, listen, I'm not going to let go of the Denver Broncos because if you want to talk about a mega bushel of pass-catching weapons, that has, uh, obviously the Denver Broncos have those at their disposal. John Elway has already taken one veteran quarterback and gotten him a second ring in a new uniform. I don't know why that wouldn't be. Colorado seems like an outdoorsy place to live. That's a you know place well, where like people who live, he's used to the weather. That would be a nice fit. His his future wife Shailene Woodley has a has a home in Colorado Springs or maybe Boulder. She she has a home in in Colorado, and so I mean there is some life synergy there. I know people in the Broncos organization. I've had conversations with them about Aaron Rodgers. They would love to have Aaron Rodgers. But they also say the same thing, and they've been saying this since draft day. Like, the Packers, they, they don't want to move them. Like, they're not answering the phone. I mean, it's, it's going back to the start of the Deshaun Watson offseason where it was like all these people wanted the guy, but if, if the team won't pick up the phone, I think the only way that this changes for the Packers is, is if one guy changes it, Aaron Rodgers. Like, if he really, really wants out, he has to do the Carson Palmer scorched earth like the silence is never going to be enough. At some point, either he or his agent, David Dunn, has to come out and make the declarative statement that was made in the Carson Palmer, you know, crossroads of the Cincinnati Bengals in 2011, which was this guy didn't want to be here anymore. It's time. Time to move him on. And, and as an extension of that, that plan has to be, hey, Aaron, you're not going to show full squad minis. You're not going to show for any of the OTAs, obviously. You're not going to show for, for training camp. And we're going to wait and see how this unfolds. And maybe in a weird way, you'll get lucky enough. Like Andy Dalton looked good as a rookie. Maybe Jordan Love comes out as a second-year player, looks pretty good. And, and the Packers go, you know what? Maybe it's just time. Like, let's get the – it looks like the, the, the kid's ready. It looks like maybe we got something to work with here and we can move forward. And maybe we just go ahead and say, hey, Aaron wants this. The Packers fans, it's been out here for a while now. You understand the corner we're painted into here. And we need to move forward with our organization. This sucks. It's going to be terrible. And it's it's going to hurt for a while. But we got to move forward. But I'm telling you, Aaron Rodgers, if he really, truly wants out, truly wants out, not just to fix it, if he wants out, he has to be a participant. In that. When you mentioned the market, though, I mean, it feels like it's a smaller market. There seems to be more. What are they going to watch? Like the University of Wisconsin and Whitewater football games? Come on. Like there is some leeway here, despite the fact that there isn't an owner installed, that Goody could have. He, he could let Aaron go, and I don't think he's going to lose his fan base because of it. It's, in Green Bay, what else? I grew up in Illinois. Look, like what else are you going to do? No, You're going to go to well, Lake Geneva listen, and drink it off. It's fine. It depends. It depends what Aaron does after he leaves. Okay. But now, I, I mean, look. Flat out, it hurts Patriots fans a lot more to see Tom leave and then win a Super Bowl than if Tom had left and fallen flat on his face. It makes it a little easier to stomach what the Patriots just went through and then not question Bill and all these things. But if Aaron Rodgers goes to the to the Denver Broncos and succeeds in the way that Tom Brady succeeded with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I'm not even saying win a Super Bowl. Let's just say they're, they're really successful, turns the, the, the franchise around, and Green Bay stumbles. That's a lot more difficult for Brian Gutekunst to have to deal with, for Mark Murphy to have to deal with, and even Matt LaFleur, who I think is not on board. with. Like, Matt LaFleur is 100%. Look, like he's like, we cannot let this guy out the door. It's just how it is. It's it's easier if, if he goes and fails somewhere um, than if he succeeds. But, I mean, look, are Packers fans just going to not watch the team? Of course not. No, but, I mean, there's going to be a segment of them that will be upset about it for a while. And you know, regardless of what happens. And there's going to be some that look at the situation and go, I'm just tired of dealing with this. Like, I'm tired of this constantly. If it, if it wasn't the contract stuff and the Jordy stuff and the Alex Van Pell stuff, and oh, by the way, the Mike McCarthy stuff, and occasionally the Ted Thompson, may he rust in peace stuff, you know, there was always some stuff going on. We're just ready to move on with this. Yeah, and it's going to sting a lot more when Justin Fields whoops him twice a season. But we'll Ooh, get to that a little we'll bit see. later. Yeah, you we'll talked see. you talked about Deshaun Watson and obviously 
these situations are not at all the same, but there is a lot of overlap all the same here. So, so let's talk. You're based in Houston. I have to imagine um, I've seen you on calls, get your phone blown up, and we've been on like video conferences before. So also, can I just say I'm trying to write. We have a fantasy preview. We go through all of the teams. And right now the Houston Texans is set to post live on Friday morning, probably as you're listening to this, it is being posted. I cannot write any fantasy projections not knowing if Deshaun Watson is going to be the quarterback or if instead we're going to have Tyrod Taylor, who obviously was brought in as the backup. Obviously, Ryan Finley is still in the wings. They drafted Davis Mills with their first pick of the draft, which wasn't until the third round. Give me the latest on this. Um, it is fraught, but give it to us. And then maybe that can be routed to provide some clarity so that we can also all do our jobs. Well, I, I mean, I think we we crossed the threshold this weekend that we know the NFL is going to have to make some kind of a determination on Deshaun Watson. The reason why I say that is Tony Busby, the attorney for the 22 accusers in these civil suits who are accusing Deshaun Watson of sexual misconduct in these civil suits, he came out and said, look, for the accusers, so far, have spoken to Lisa Friel, who's the NFL's, I always call her the sort of the investigative czar for the NFL. So they've spoken to, to the NFL. And for more may, like there's a determination being made. Now, whether or not Tony Busby was happy how those meetings went is irrelevant in that the, the larger picture here is now we know the NFL has the civil suits to read through, and it has four first-person accounts in interviews from women involved in these civil suits. Why that's important, it now gives the NFL grounds to say to Deshaun Watson, we need to talk to you. It's time for you to come in. We got to talk to you about this. We've, we've got first-person testimony. We've got these civil suits. Now we have a base of information that we now have to question you on because we've moved beyond just, hey, anybody can file a civil suit. Now we have actual testimony from these alleged victims. And it puts the NFL in a position where it's got to make some determination here has to do something like it. And, and frankly, nothing is something. And what I mean by that is if the NFL says to Sean Watson, it's time for us to talk to you, we're not going to sit and wait for this whole thing to unfold. It could take years for the civil litigation to run its course. And then they go through the interview with Deshaun Watson. And afterward, the NFL goes, not putting him on the commissioner's exempt list. We're just going to go ahead and let this thing ride out. That's the determination. That means Deshaun Watson's good to go. And, and at that point, the Houston Texans and any acquiring team or however, you know, that market develops moving forward. And, and I've seen, I will tell you this, as far as the reports that are out there, I know the Miami Dolphins absolutely would be a team that I think would be interested. I think the Carolina Panthers are still a team that would look at it because David Tepper is very much a Deshaun Watson fan, at least aside from the, the civil suits. I'm just talking about football here. And the Philadelphia Eagles heard from multiple general managers that they're certain that the Eagles are interested in, in acquiring Deshaun Watson if the civil stuff clears up. So what, um, what does that mean? What does civil stuff clearing up mean? Is that simply um, a ruling from the NFL? So it's a, so if it settles, if it doesn't go to court, okay. then there are transcripts that people can then post on social media to find out details, even though that didn't really fly for Antonio Brown or at least affect him right. negatively. Like, then it's safe. Well, you brought up the key The key name is Antonio Brown here because that does provide a little bit of a roadmap. What I mean, yeah, there's, a, there's an element of precedent there because Antonio Brown was suspended before the civil suit was ever cleared up. Remember, he just settled the civil suit in the last month, okay? Now, he, he, he was suspended for eight games, but that was, first off, the NFL is opaque in terms of why that suspension occurred. They don't tell you, they, they went through the process of, you know, years ago detailing why Ezekiel Elliott was suspended. It didn't go well for the league. Like, I think the league realized, hey, when we detail all the 50 million things that go into this suspension, people nitpick it apart, and then we get into this, you know, we get dragged into this huge media, you know, dissecting our decision and why we did this and how does it compare to that. So with Antonio Brown, it was far more opaque. It was just like, hey, look, he, we found multiple violations of the personal conduct policy. We're suspended to make games. We're not going to go into every single thing that factored into that. They could do the same thing with Deshaun Watson. They could decide, hey, we're not going to wait for this to sort itself out. The civil suits, maybe that is something that becomes germane to this down the line. But we found enough right now 
to suspend Deshaun Watson for violations of the personal conduct policy for a game, two games, four games. Maybe maybe he doesn't get suspended at all. Maybe he gets fined half a million dollars. Like, who knows? I mean, it could be a litany. Remember, Reuben Foster was not suspended when he went through his own legal issues with a girlfriend, and he, but he ended up being fined. I think it was like two game checks. So it's, you know, that's, there are a number of, you know, remedies the NFL has at its fingertips to not wait for civil litigation to run its course. I would love to be able to tell you and to tell fans and fantasy football players, and I'm a fantasy football player myself, particularly quarterbacks like this, they affect not just the quarterback, they affect everybody, the whole franchise, all kinds of things. I don't, I can't tell you that, that this is going to be resolved with either Aaron Rodgers or Deshaun Watson in a way that, you know, meaningfully tells you, here's how I should plan this or plan that, or as a fan, you know, here's how I should feel about this situation. I think they're both up in the air, and they both have a lot to do with actions that are in the players' hands. Deshaun Watson does have the ability to to reach a global settlement. It's through a, a financial remedy that's used in civil cases all the time. You can sit down and say, hey, uh, here's the number. Here's what the global settlement is. We'll so sign right, NDAs, whatever. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, so there, there's, and Aaron Rodgers has the ability to go, here's exactly what I want from the Packers, or they've offered enough for me to do this or that. Or, I mean, they both have um, a hand in at least part of what their their future determination is. I mean, Deshaun Watson, obviously, as you said, it's different because it's a completely different set of circumstances. And there's a Houston Police Department investigation going on and litigation and the NFL investigation. So there's a lot of different things that can affect Deshaun Watson that have nothing to do with a, a situation like Aaron Rodgers. But both of them are completely uncertain. And to get out of that, they're both going to have to take part is there a date, like a drop-dead date for Houston? I mean, they have to know, too, so that they can plan yeah. for it. And so I feel like, is there, should we be circling our calendars or being mindful of a particular time over the summer that feels like if it, if this isn't clarified, at least 80% clarified by this time, probably 2021 is out of right. reach. So actually, yeah, and it's interesting. I love that you brought this up because people don't really... I don't think people have really considered this yet. And this is a conversation I've been dying to have. The way that that could come about is Deshaun Watson telling the Houston Texans, guess what I'm reporting? Guess what? I'm going to show up for mandatory mini camps. Guess what? I'm going to show up for training camp whenever. Because at this point, remember, he wants to be traded. He's not showing up for anything. Right. He's not showing up for anything. So really, the Texans don't have a reason to turn to the league office and go, where are we at on this? Like, yo, we got like, tell us where we're at on this. We need to figure this out. Right now, he doesn't want to be under that roof. But if all of a sudden Deshaun Watson says, hey, you know what? I'm going to come in because I don't, I, look, I got I to gotta get ready for football. So I'm going to be under that roof. Then the Texans are in a situation where they have to pivot to the league office and go, where are we at now? Like, Because like, we, we, we have to ask you to make a determination. I don't think fans understand this. A lot of guys end up on the, the, pers- the, league, the commissioner's exemplist because the franchise says to the league, what are we doing? Like, what are we doing here? We're asking you to make a determination here whether this guy should be in the fold or not. That's what the Texans would have to do if Deshaun Watson. They would have to make that decision. Either they're going to go, hey, fine, if he's going to show up, we're not even going to ask the league office. If they want to make their determination, great, but we're just going to accept him with open arms. Or they would have to turn to the league office and go, hey, this is hanging over our heads. You need to tell us where are we at on this. And if he's going to be put on the, the commissioner's exemplist, Let's get that process taken care of so we can move forward, as you said, with the quarterbacks we already have. Moving away from the quarterbacks for a, se- for a second, because you are based in Houston, because we did just have the draft. Are you hearing anything about any excitement or buzz around Nico Collins by chance? I mean, if you look at this roster, like outside of Brandon Cooks, it's a whole lot of hot garbage. But I- I- admitting, obviously, as a former Spartan, noting that Collins is a Wolverine and you might have some good feelings player. about that. I mean, yeah. he does look like he could be of some sort of um, value when you look at it as 94th percentile catch radius, big, like red zone threat. I mean, Trez Paler and I used to talk about him like all the oh, time. Okay. Trez and I, because, you know, Trez is a big Michigan fan and we both kind of felt like he never really reached his potential at Michigan. Yeah, never like, We happened. both felt like, yeah, he was, he, we thought, especially early on in his career, I remember seeing him, I don't remember if it was a freshman, I pretty feel like it was his freshman season. I just remember seeing him play and being like oh my god like that guy's gonna end up being a monster 
look, it's opportunity, right? I mean, there's opportunity there for catches. So yeah, I like him. I that that was the interesting thing about um I think in a weird way you could almost look at Donovan Peoples Jones and go, Man, all the quarterback problems in Michigan and that guy was highly rated going in and they felt like they had something and he was gonna turn into something. And when I would talk to people in the Cleveland franchise about how did you like I don't get it. Like you get this guy at the end of the draft. Like, how did you know? And they're like, you could see the talent there, but you could also see the problems with the offense and the quarterback. It it really stunted his growth throughout the course of his college career. So they said, well, we thought we'd bring him in. We knew he needed some coaching and there was a lot of things that we needed to round into place, but we felt like the talent base was there. I think it's the same situation. It's another guy who just hasn't had, look at the quarterback situation. There's a complete train wreck. Well, it wasn't just that, too. I mean, Michigan just had a lot of issues between Harbaugh and their contract oh. negotiations that were yeah. drawn out. Jeez. But additionally, I mean, he injured his groin in 2019, right? And then yeah, he's the, been injury prone. Right. The Big Ten had their whole 2020 yes, no COVID situation. So there weren't like a plethora of opportunities. You know, there were plenty of um, players in the Big Ten who were I mean, Bateman, who was you know drafted ahead of him, had to deal with some of that as well. But the expanse of his career, you know, like, I mean, o- overall, the expanse of his career, it, it was sort of like the, you know, what is it? Rosanna, Rosanna, Dana, it's always something, you know, I mean, that that was that's Michigan football. I mean, oh, you're probably you're probably too young for that. You're too young for the 1980s SNL reference. I don't even think you were alive at that point. I, I was alive in the 1980s. Thank you. But I don't know. I don't know what that is. That sounds great. <laughs> um, um, hey, you know, what? look it up. Everyone who's listening. And I'm sure everyone who's listening is way too young to understand the reference, but I'm going to drop it anyway. I can promise you that none of the rookies that were drafted understood (laughs) that reference, which is the perfect time to mention them. We've got San Francisco, New England, and of course Chicago, all with these young first round draft picks at quarterback. We want to, I want to know, not that I expect you to have this answer anyway, but let's talk it out. When are we expecting the transition to happen? I want to start in San Francisco because there have been a lot of reports, a lot of talking uh, to the media or leaks to the media from the 49ers organization. Early last week, you had Adam Schefter saying that the 49ers believe that Trey Lance was, quote, the smartest quarterback in this draft, which, I mean, the Mac Jones truthers, few as they may be, would probably be deeply offended by that statement. Um, and that he was also the, the most ready to play right away, which also doesn't seem to align with all of hashtag draft Twitter. Then a few days later, you had Mark Schofield of USA Today reporting that Lance could start, quote, sooner than you think. So what's the deal? I talked to Jimmy Garoppolo last week, class at, also from Chicago, went to my rival high school. He is fully anticipating being the starter. Uh, from gathering from other reports, it feels like the 49ers are wanting at least one first round draft pick in exchange for him. I don't know what the market, the market doesn't seem to bear what they're asking for, but also everyone's just assuming he's not going to be on the roster come the summer. So what information are you getting? Because I don't know if you can't get what you're, I mean, are they going to lower what they're asking for him in order to move him and really anticipate that Trey Lance is going to start week one? Right. I'll, recount a conversation I had with an agent who reps a quarterback who moved this offseason. There's a lot of quarterbacks that move, so I think I covered myself there. Um, but he said to me, he said, look, I had conversations with Kyle during the course of the regular season about him potentially being interested in, in coming and getting my guy. And I knew it would only really be a one-season situation because he told me hey, if we get into a scenario where Jimmy's not on the roster, I think Kyle thought there was a chance that they could trade Jimmy. I'm still going to be looking for a veteran quarterback because we're looking at drafting potentially a young a, a young quarterback and sitting him for a year. So the reason I bring that up is because when I was talking to the same agent the week of the draft, and I said, you know, man, the Patriots are, they they sure seem to think that the 49ers really aren't serious about trading Jimmy Garoppolo. This guy said to me, I'm telling you they're not. Because Kyle straight up said to me, we want to draft a young quarterback, but we want to sit him for a year. He said he straight up spelled out the Alex Smith, Patrick Mahomes situation. So he just swore up and down. They're not trading him. I didn't believe him. I'm just like, ah, you're, you're full of crap. They're going to trade him. 
And of course, that didn't happen. They take Trey Lance. Now, my problem with um, believing he's going to sit the whole season like Mahomes did, I think what makes me, what's interesting about this is I remember the last time I heard everybody tell me, no way this guy can start. He's going to have to sit for a year, maybe longer than that, all these different things. It was Josh Allen. And I bought into all that. Oh, Josh Allen's, oh, this is such a developmental pick and it's going to take forever. And he hasn't had the coaching and da 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 da. And of course, what happens? The guy ends up playing. And it was because they planned to play him all along. And one general manager said something to me after this was after the draft. We we're just kind of recapping the picks or whatever. And I talked to him about, you know, Kyle, we were kind of laughing about Kyle, just sort of Kyle's arrogance, like how he is a quarterback. And he said to me, he goes, uh, I said, you know, they're going to redshirt him. And he said, if you redshirt that kid, and and I had heard this before the draft too, if you redshirt him, okay, he played one game in 2020. You redshirt him all of 2021. It's almost three years before that guy plays really meaningful regular season, you know, bullets flying football. You really going to do that? He's like, I don't, I don't see them drafting a kid third overall that you're going to then sit another year and then just hope miraculously that, hey, he's only played like one game in three years and then he's going to roll out there and be particularly when, you know, look, I, I think live reps are going to be important to Trey Lance right away because he spent so much of his career. He just didn't throw a lot. He didn't throw a lot in college. I don't think a lot he of people realize. He didn't play that. in 2020. He rarely played in 2020. But even when he was playing, like if people really look at the run, the way his game was constructed and the running versus the throwing in his game. And it wasn't just like some people are like, oh, well, he can off script this or off script that. No, there was like a design part of what he did in college was running the football. And as a matter of fact, if you go back and look at the Central Arkansas game in 2020, all the issues in that game, which was not very good for him until really later in the game, it was when he was like, hey, I'm staying in the pocket. I know this is my NFL. This is the one piece of tape I'm going to put out for NFL GMs. I'm going to show him I can be a pocket guy. And man, he had problems. And then when he reverted back late in that game to what he was in 2019, he looked good again. So I, you know, I think that's something that Kyle's got to work with right away. And the only way you can really meaningfully work with that is if he's getting first team reps at some point in year one. So you know, I, I just I don't buy it anymore when when I hear people tell me, oh, this guy's not going to play and he's this, he's that. Because honestly, the Josh Allen thing was such a miss by so many people that and and I, even even Justin, you know, Herbert last year, I had people who I really respect telling me I wouldn't touch him with a with a 10 foot pole who then came back early in the NFL season. were like, oh, man, I messed up like that guy's actually a really good player. It's like, you know, and I don't want to trust anymore in quarterback evaluations. Let me see him on the field. Then I'll tell you. Those are also, you're mentioning two rookies tied to Tyrod teens, you know? I mean, <laughs> there's some connective tissue there. Um, Davis Mills. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, wow. I didn't, you're right. There's three. To be clear, though, you don't believe, or based on the information that you're hearing, you don't believe that Jimmy will be off the roster, but rather, he will lose his job eventually at some point during the season to Trey Lance. Also worth noting, he was limited to six games last year because of a high ankle sprain. Sure, he played 16 the year before, but he had the ACL in, uh, the year before that. So not the most durable of quarterbacks, especially given you know that he was not a starter any of the time that he was in New England. I, I think you Howie Roseman this. What I mean by that is, Howie Roseman drafted Carson Wentz fully with the intention of keeping Sam Bradford on that roster and probably even starting Sam Bradford, Carson Wentz's rookie year in Philly. And what happened? The Minnesota Vikings lost the quarterback in a season in which they thought, hey, we're going to be a pretty damn good team. They lost the quarterback in Teddy Bridgewater in practice. And then all of a sudden they panicked and said, we got to get a quarterback on our roster. We can't just throw away a season here. So, you know, I think, if you're John Lynch and you're Kyle Shanahan, you go, hey, you know what? We can, we can ride it out with this guy, see how he plays. Maybe, maybe you know, it's an Alex Smith situation where he's motivated and he has a great year and allows us to keep the kid on the bench even if we don't want to. Maybe we can offer him at the trade deadline. Maybe a quarterback gets hurt in, in training camp and, and somebody panics and says, here's a first-round first round pick for Sam Bradford. Like, what a, what, a, what a unbelievable development that was. But, I mean, I, I, 
keep the options on the table because at this point, you and I just talked about the market for an Aaron Rodgers. Well, I don't think the market for a Jimmy Garoppolo is really, you know, great at this point either. So let's let's wait and see, you know, what happens with some other teams that are sitting there going, hey, this could be a pretty good year for us or or we can't afford to have a 6-11 and 11 year or we're all going to get fired here. Notice how I said 6-11. and 11. I, I made sure I got that number, the, the math right <laughs> already. I'm working easy, on yeah. that this offseason, making sure I'm getting those games right. You know, I, there's there's panic in the NFL provides opportunity. And so a quarterback goes down, the first call is going to be to San Francisco going, yeah, we like that guy in the draft. He played well for you. He just has had a bad, you know, run of injuries and not lucky. What do you need for him? Well, he did promise me, knowing that Brandon Ayuk was on my fantasy squad, to throw to Brandon Ayuk more frequently. Jimmy G did. So, you know, we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll be monitoring my Brandon Ayuk stock. I want to talk to Jimmy. Never promised me anything. I don't get it. <laughs> well, let's talk about New England because there are a lot of promises being made at Foxborough, um, particularly to Cam Newton because Bill Belichick, you know, who is obviously super honest with the media, is being stalwart about the fact that Cam is the starter. To review, y'all, Cam's on a one-year deal. And I believe it was initially reported that the deal was like worth $14 million, but it's not. It's like $3.5 guaranteed, and the rest are in wildly unlikely to be reached incentives, especially when Mac Jones has been drafted. But Bill Belichick's like a, he's, you know, he's a fox. He, I mean, Bill Belichick is sly like a fox. So when do you anticipate? And I also think this isn't something, it's not like Cam Newton has a skill set that is at all similar to Mac Jones's. So it's kind of hard to like play the, uh, the veteran mentor to mentee card here. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's uh, schematically the synergy isn't great between those two guys, but I will say this about Bill. Um, I've talked to somebody in the Patriots organization about Cam and he told me, he said, look, man, legitimately Bill really likes Cam. Like he really, he really likes Cam as a person. He really liked that Cam came in and, in a really big way, adopted the mentality of how they carried themselves in that organization. Bill really felt like Cam was a leader inside, you know, th- that building, despite the season that he had, you know, that Cam bought into everything, that, that Cam really bought into Bill, really likes Bill a lot. And I know for a lot of people, they're like, man, what a strange marriage, but not really. I mean, like, you know, Cam looks for leadership and Bill loves players who want to accept his kind of leadership. And who are free. I think, Bill, Marty Bennett would always tell me how much he appreciated Belichick and how much Belichick let him be him because he appreciated yeah. free thinkers who are also willing to honor his wisdom by adapting right. to it. And so I, I think that that makes complete sense. Um, so you are assuming, intimating that we should expect to see Cam as the starter and as the season progresses, whether whether his play regresses like it did last year or, you know, there's an injury that crops up. Like, otherwise, he is the starter. We should take Bill at his word. I think, I think, yeah, I do. I think Bill's going to give him the opportunity to at least start the season, to come in and and show, you know, hey, look, I wasn't healthy. Like, this has been a multi-year process of me not being healthy. But let me at least show one more time, you know, I do think my shoulder's okay. I do think I can actually throw a football and I'm just not completely washed. You know, I think Bill is, I think Bill feels like Cam has adapted to their ways. And as you said, accepted and and embraced a lot of, you know, Bill's wisdom and the way he likes to do things and been a leader, you know, through, through difficult times um, when things were not going well for him. I think Bill wants to give him an opportunity and, and look, let's be honest, Bill's not in a hurry to just take a quarterback, whether it's 15th overall, everyone, I, I think Bill likes it when he does something and we all assume that, oh, well, this fitting the larger photograph of how the NFL is typically run, that means Bill's going to do X. I think he loves it when the media says, that, oh, he's just going to do this because that's who he is. He's going to go get Andy Dalton. He's not going to sign Cam Newton. You know, he's going to do, and and I think Bill sees that as, you know, him showing everybody else how smart he is. And just because we think, oh, we spent a first round pick on Mac Jones, he's not just going to give Mac Jones the reins. But I will, I'll say this too. He probably knows Mac Jones better. 
because of the Saban relationship, because of how much he, you know, how many Alabama players he's had over the years, all these different things. He, he, I mean, you know, he, I remember going to an Alabama pro day and Bill was like almost getting hit by like linebackers and drills. That's how involved he was, you know? So he, uh, he probably knows Mac Jones better than anybody else, but he probably knows Mac Jones was running a college offense. Like he was, he's running a college, he's running a college offense surrounded by how many first round picks Liz? like at some point, you know, that does have to matter that a guy can't just walk away from a plethora of first round talent and then just step into the NFL and Hey, I, this is no problem for me. I'm, you know, I'm going to be Tom Brady. Even Tom Brady wasn't Tom Brady in year one. People forget that it took enough. He wasn't Tom Brady till year two. Not with Nelson Aguilar as your wide receiver one. <laughs> <This is laughs> like, you know, I mean, listen, Tom. Yeah, hey, I'll say this: Tom was throwing to some guys back in the day that I was like, man, I forgot about that guy. He definitely <laughs> was throwing some touchdown passes to some forgotten, forgotten ghosts. Um, you mentioned Andy Alton, so let's get to Chicago because this is the best one. The Bears, by the way, I just oh, want to yes. remind everyone: the Bears, in theory, have three quarterbacks on their roster who cost. More than three quarterbacks of the names that I am going to list should ever cost. Nick Foles is guaranteed another $9 million over the next two seasons. Like, through 2022, the Bears owe him uh, $9 million. Andy Dalton signed a one-year deal worth $10 million. And Justin Fields, obviously the best quarterback in the 2021 draft, yes, even ahead of Trevor Lawrence, is on the roster. So, if we're to believe the coach speak, Dalton is, quote, the starter for now. Also worth noting, because the schedule was released yesterday, the Bears opened their season at SoFi versus the Rams. I'm going to make the prediction. Aaron Donald ruins the Red Rifle and Fields is subbed in in time to, to debut at home against the Bengals. Um, it's Listen, Fields, I love Fields. And I, lo- I love them at Ohio State. I love him as a prospect. I think he's going to be... I think he has the chance to be the Deshaun Watson of this draft. Like I remember Deshaun Watson throughout the years at Clemson. It was like, this, this guy's going to be this, he's going to be that. And then all of a sudden as we crept up on the draft process, it was like, well, they nitpicked this. And well, they nitpicked that. And well, he, you know, he played great in the, in the, you know, in the, in the championship games or he played great in the playoffs, but you know, look at, he would force this or he'd force that. Or, you know, um, I felt like Justin Fields ran into some of that. So I, I, actually kind of like him as materializing as a player that is probably going to live up to everything that he was in college and dispel finally the whole Ohio state quarterback thing. I do think though, realistically that, that the money that they gave to Andy Dalton, unless something dramatically bad happens immediately off the bat, it would look remarkably stupid. And I will use that word stupid for the front office and the head coaching staff to pull the plug on a quarterback that you go out and you sign, you gave him $10 million and that you tweet about being QB one and all these different things. And the next thing you know, you're just like, well, yeah, okay. Well, we, we were just going to go ahead and pull the plug on that right away because you know what? We, we just, we can't evaluate court. It would not make me feel like you can, ev- you can evaluate quarterbacks. Like how many do we have to stack up in a row where you just are like, well, that didn't work out. So geez, I hope Justin Fields works out. I mean, it's just, yeah, we've been doing this since Mike Glennon. Like what, this is exact. This is similar. They did all of the media around Mike Glenn. Remember that? Standing oh, out no, there? I, like, dude, right. I you're going to have to beat that. But like, <laughs> we, we did this with Mike Glennon. We've done it. And I don't think, I think the Bears fully intended to start Andy Dalton, hence the $10 million. But I don't think anyone anticipated Fields to fall in the way that he did, even as the draft was happening in real time past Carolina. And, and I was playing out, Andy Barron's tweeted this, we're both playing out what Justin Fields and Carolina would look like. And then the Bears had an opportunity that they couldn't, a redemptive opportunity that they couldn't pass up. And now they're put in a situation. I mean, honestly, if Andy Dalton gets trucked by the Rams defense in week one, which is incredibly probable, not just possible, I think Justin Fields could debut at Soldier Field in week two against the Bengals, which is also a narratively juicy matchup. Well, let's remember too. I mean, there's, we have all of training camp, you know, like it, people act like it doesn't matter, but it does sure, matter. Sure. I mean, I, yeah. I go forward to training camps. You know, when somebody's got it, you watch somebody early. I can tell you, I remember Josh Allen's rookie year watching him face off against Carolina 
um, in Spartanburg when they had, uh, you know, they had the mutual practice. And I walked away from that and I was like, oh my God, half the time he's doing stuff that I, it's just like, looks just beyond dumb. Like he's sailing passes over the, you know, running backs had 10 yards. You know I mean? It's like ridiculous. But then the other half, I'm like, oh my God, like this, he just uncorked the, you know, 60 yard pass. Like it was nothing. And, you know, and I'm watching all these things and I'm like, okay, well, what's the downside of at least rolling that guy out there and, and starting the process? Because it definitely, I, all Justin Fields has to do is, is show up and show, you know, show out. So look, I've got more to work with than these guys. And it doesn't take much for a front office to go, okay, the downside of sitting Andy is we look dumb, but we don't look dumb if we sit him with a guy that immediately shows the fan base something that, you know, like Josh Allen showed the fan base with, with Buffalo. People knew right away, okay, all right, we're ready. We've got something to work with here. He's, you know, he's, it's going to be a, a process of getting over some warts here and there, but it, you just have to have, remember, it's not, it's not always about making the decision to sit a guy down. It's the, you're sitting him and then what's the option? It's the, it's what you're sitting him down to get to. You can sit somebody down to get to somebody, and I think that looks a lot better for the Bears. But let me ask you this. What if what if they sat him down and field struggle? How bad would it be for the Chicago Bears to bring in Andy Dalton and he has one bad game and they sit him? Which, by the way, he had some bad games in Dallas, but if you talk to people in Dallas, they will tell you over the, the rear, you know, the rear end of the season, they're like, he actually was pretty good. They're like, he pulled, he pulled together pretty well down the back stretch that season and in not in a good situation. A lot of bad things going on around him. And coming off of COVID, right? He got COVID too, which. And, and yeah. And so, I mean, I think it would look remarkably bad for Chicago to make the move early and then what a field struggles. Because I'm telling you right now, if, if you sit Dalton, it looks like another Foles decision. It looks like another Mike Lennon decision. It looks like another Trubisky situation did it all these different things. And then Fields comes in and does not immediately provide some dividends. You think Miami fans turned on Tua fast? I mean, Chicago fans, after going through all the quarterback stuff they've gone through, and as much as they love Justin Fields right now, Miami fans love Tua more than anything on earth. And it took them about five seconds to decide Ryan Fitzpatrick's got more than this guy. And they went bonkers on him. The rest, it's it's never subsided. You don't want that to happen with Justin. I mean, you're you're assuming comfortability from the front office, and the and the front office, I think, is making decisions based on their current employment. Like they don't want they're they're making decisions from a, a fear based place of not wanting to lose their jobs. And I don't think anyone makes good decisions when they're coming from a fear based place. No argument here. I'm not, I'm not saying. I'm definitely if they're not making decisions based on whether or not they're keeping their jobs at this point, it's a mistake. Okay. <laughs> because they, they definitely need to be factoring that in. I'm just saying that I would be very sure that we're putting Justin Fields into a situation where he can come in and have some success, pick that spot in the schedule very carefully because you don't want to pull the trigger too early and oh man, we rushed it. And then if things just go downhill for quickly. These these are fair points. We'll see. I also feel like War Fields to struggle. The current um, front office and coaching staff would be the most immediate scapegoat in the fans' eyes. But that's all for another situation and another time. Let's talk about the schedule. Because last year when the schedule dropped, I actually listened to you and Therese waxing poetic about it. And I thought you, Charles, made some really interesting points about the way schedule makers favored various franchises and teams. Tom Brady. Um, so I wanted to see what your initial reaction to the 2021 schedule was like. Also noting that there are 10 teams that have five primetime games. That's the most. And then, you know, a handful of teams, I believe, eight that have just one primetime game. I'm noting this because Green Bay is one of the teams that has five primetime games, whereas Denver and the discussion we had previously, it only has one primetime game. So I feel like there'll be a lot of flexing, (laughs) which is now a possibility, a more realistic possibility on behalf, on the uh, part of the schedule makers were Aaron Rodgers to move to Denver. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, the flexing is people got to remember that that's the huge, particularly Monday night flexing is a, a big deal, you know, this season. So, you know, there's some latitude there, but I, 
you mentioned all the teams that have the five games, and I'm sorry I'm looking down here, but I want to make sure I get this right. Tell me it's not a quarterback league, okay? Five, yeah. Green Bay. Okay, now you're, now again, we're assuming, you know, I'm sure the league right now is sitting there assuming that Aaron Rodgers is still going to be there. Green Bay's got five. Dallas has got five. Okay, it's Dallas, but also, hey, Dak Prescott, uh, $40 million quarterback now, so I think you got to pencil him in as he's considered a star quarterback in this league. I don't think there's any question about it. Seattle, Russell Wilson, right? No doubt. Pittsburgh, hey, you know what? I get it. It's Ben Roethlisberger's swan song, but it's still Ben Roethlisberger. He's still a name. He's still a Hall of Fame quarterback, right? Baltimore, former MVP Lamar Jackson. Los Angeles Rams, who just happened to be bringing the kid to town that, you know, Sean McVay is in love with. And every time he talks about him, there's a little sing-songy melody in his voice. And, oh boy, we're going to see Matt Stafford you know, with, with a team that actually knows how to use them all. So again, quarterback league, San Francisco. I mean, I think they're counting on Trey Lance. To be honest with you. I think maybe they want to get the Trey Lance, Kyle Shanahan show going. Um, Kansas city, obviously Mahomes, Tampa Bay, that's Tom. I, I, it's, a, I've told people this over and over again. And I think even if you go to the fours, you know, Indianapolis, you got the Wentz storyline, which is going to be, you know, prevalent Buffalo, Josh Allen's a, Odds on MVP favorite for a lot of people. I've tried to explain this to people. Like, I don't say it's a quarterback league. The league tells us it's a quarterback league all the time, nonstop. They're like, this is who we sell. We sell the quarterbacks. So um, I, that was obviously what's remarkable to me is you see that. When I saw the games, I mean, look, the one that really matters to me, and, and I know it's the obvious one, but I'm going to say it because I've had how many ticket brokers coming me today saying, holy Man, you know, that Tom Brady game in New England's already $1,500 for the get-in price. They're literally, it is the most expensive game. Now, we'll see. The prices will fluctuate between now and October, and a lot of things can happen. But right now, it kicked off as the most expensive regular season ticket in NFL history, seeing Tom Brady go back to New England. And, oh, by the way, I enjoy that they said, no, we'll send them back. Let's just make sure. Let's not make it too cold. Yeah, it's only week four. They're like, yeah, you know what? It'll be a nice autumn game. Like, yeah. you know, it, we don't have to worry about some slop. Like, he's, we're going to see the best. You know, you still see teams, you know, even in cold weather cities playing really good football in October. And I, I mean, to me, that's the game that it it is because there are so many different things that are going to be written about Bill Belichick and Tom Brady and so much that developed last year about the crossroads of these two guys. And, and by the way, I also think it's early enough in the schedule that maybe it can kind of set the mold for the remainder of the season for both of those guys. If Tom goes and say Tom goes in and blows out the Patriots, you know, I, I, people can say he doesn't want to prove anything or whatever. And Tom's, Tom's still Tom. He's still the guy who remembers all the quarterbacks drafted in front of him. He still has that New England DNA in him that was instilled by Bill Belichick of remembering every little tiny slight. I think Tom blows out the Patriots. Ooh, let's see what Tampa does the rest of the year. But conversely, imagine if Bill gets his little measure of revenge with, I don't know, what if Mac, what if Mac Jones is starting at that point? Our heads will explode. It doesn't even matter. And by the way, I would love to see a player prop on end of game handshake because based uh, on last year, if Tom doesn't win, especially in Foxborough, I'm not sure he's going to be offering his hand to his former coach. Speaking of odds, though, and bets, like really quickly, you're talking about week one. We should mention the third to kick off the 2021 season. You've got Dallas at Tampa Bay. Here's a fun fact. Dak Prescott is the fourth highest paid athlete in the world. Forbes just published their list. Conor McGregor, by the way is number one because he sold the majority stake to that uh, proper number 12 Irish whiskey. So Dak Prescott, number four, Tom Brady is number nine, which I thought was surprising. I have a feeling, given the notes, Therese liked to say that Tom was a note taker. I have a feeling that Tom took that note and he's going to bring it into the season opener. Also, we you talked about Matt Stafford, how he's the new golden boy, the new bromance in the eyes of the new man crush in the eyes of Sean McVay. Interesting odds for him. Um, he is uh, 14 to 1 odds as the NFL MVP out of 2021, but ahead of him, only Patrick Mahomes, 5 to 1, Aaron Rodgers, 9 to 1, Josh Allen, 11 to 1. 
Then you've got Matt Stafford at 14 to 1 and Tom Brady also at 14 to 1. So that's, um, th- I just found that those were particularly interesting odds. And then the last one, since we're talking about Matt Stafford, his old team, when you're looking at division odds, the Detroit Lions odds to win the NFC North is plus 2,000. Right? Have you, <laughs> have you ever seen a number that high? For the record, uh, Green Bay per bet MGM is at minus 110, I believe. The Vikings are at plus 250, and the Bears are at plus 275. And the funny thing is, um, I think I saw a stat the other day that like 15 of the last 18 years or 16 last eight, some some crazy stat about worst to first teams in their divisions, that it's happened like 15 of the last 18 years or whatever. I'm going to say this, like if you want to talk about a division where there's a chance that everybody in front of Detroit could implode. I mean, like all those teams have issues. I mean, there's every single one of those teams in the NFC North could fall flat on its face. And by the way, I don't know, like I've never, it's it's not like I'm a Jared Goff guy. I've never been a Jared Goff guy or anything like that, but I am someone who like, I don't like seeing somebody get kicked. And then when they're down, people just continue to just wallop the living hell out of them. And I feel like Jared Goff has been a guy that, McVeigh turned on him and the and and the world was waiting to turn on him. And as soon as McVeigh did it, it was like it just opened up the the heavens opened and it just all fell on on Jared Goff. And so I, I part of me would be kind of happy to see him have a have a, you know, a little bit of a come up in Detroit and be able to stand there and go, yeah, you know what, maybe it wasn't just all me. Maybe I'm not as bad as everybody thinks I am. I think that was very much a media construction. Because when I spoke to Cam Akers, he had nothing but glowing. And you can tell when a guy is, like, holding the team line, holding sure, the company sure. line, right? Like, you can Absolutely. feel it. And he had nothing. He's also so young that he hasn't been through the media machine enough yet. And Cam Akers had nothing but positive things to say. Absolutely glowing, but not in a he wasn't being like a sycophant about it. It wasn't scripted. It seemed very, very authentic. So I feel like that was very much a media construction. I will say if we're talking odds and maybe we end it here, Detroit win total odds is five, just above Houston, by the way, at four and a half, they're all the way in the cellar. I'll take the over on five and a little bit of golf redemption. I'm not a, I don't, I'm not a like big Dan Campbell guy and his press conference, you know, there's no getting around how crazy that was, but he is someone that motivates guys. And, I, and although I don't necessarily think that the quote unquote motivational coaches time, you, you learn whether or not someone can coach or not. Let me put it to you that way. Like they, they can have a solid opening and then they just languish the rest. But, but in year one, a new coach, they've been wanting to get out from under this past guy, breath of fresh air, different quarterback, people who are in, in, in on that team that feel like they have something to prove. You telling me that there's no chance that's worth more than five wins? I mean, there's definitely a chance. And by the way, five wins in a 17 game season. Five wins in a 17 game season. Yeah, they can go six and eleven, and you win that bet. I mean, I think I think that's and by and it's not world beater. I'm sorry, I just don't think the NFC North is just. I'd sit there and I'm like, man, this is they're gonna lay the wood like this. It feels kind of muddled. I mean, I don't know for sure, particularly given the Rodgers situation. If Rodgers comes back to Green Bay, then it's different. But if he doesn't, then I really don't know what to think of, of the rest of that division, whether or not Detroit has a chance. I love, though, the, the 14-1 the 14 odds of Stafford being MVP is, if I was in Vegas, you know, and I had a couple hundred bucks, I'd probably just say, you know what, uh, I can either go lose this at the blackjack table or I can drop three, four hundred bucks on Matt Stafford and watch the season. I 14-1 is – I. He will put up numbers under Sean McVay. There's no question about that. Okay, so I, I think there's a very real possibility <clears throat> that Matt Stafford could have a, a hell of a season under Sean McVay. I think we're going to end it on that note. Also, when are we going to Vegas? I'm fully vaccinated. Can we go to Vegas? Let's oh go to my Vegas. God, yeah. Oh, is that a thing? Are we going to do that? Wait, are we starting something here? <laughs> I don't know. I, th- I think we're going to Vegas. <laughs> I think Liz Lowe's just okay. We're all going to everybody join us in Vegas. Liz is clearly hosting. She's going to figure out how to pull that off. All right. So, Charles, tell me what you're working on this week. I mean, look, I, I've, I'm on the Deshaun Watson, Aaron Rodgers beat. <laughs> like, that's just sort of how this entire offseason has developed. So, I'm 
I'm actually working on something on, on Watson right now, just about, you know, how, what the latest revelations about the lack of a settlement happening mean. And the fact that some of the accusers talk to NFL. And like I said, I, I'm going to have to write about all these uh, ticket brokers hitting me up going, Oh my God, this Brady new England ticket is, is just unbelievably astronomical. They, they've been blown away by the early response to that one game on the schedule. And so I think people always are interested in, in Tom Brady, New England storylines. I think that's fair. Also, you guys, the fantasy team previews that I mentioned at the top of the episode, it's been a minute since we were at the top of the episode, but check those out. We are going through all 32 teams. Every single fantasy analyst is jumping in. It's a rotation. We've got Houston today on, on Friday. So check those out. We'll, of course, republish them all over the summer so you can have a nice spiffy draft kit but the process begins now i am at liz loza underscore ff that is at charles robinson if you're looking for college talk follow the yahoo sports college podcast with dan wetzel pete thamel and our friend pat 40 you can all also follow posted up with chris haynes for more in-depth conversations from the nba world check us out on twitter at yahoo fantasy and we are at Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.